0: I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling sitting beside me, and lots to discuss in terms of the provincial budget. We were all over this yesterday afternoon, 680 CJOB, Richard Cloutier leading the charge with the team from Budget Lockup. Hal Anderson had his people panel to get some reaction. We'll have reaction throughout the morning, and you can also get a full, comprehensive Summary uh, at cjob.com, which was very helpful for me, for example, because it's a lot of stuff to go through and it's a lot of numbers, and I don't know. You're way better with this stuff, Greg. Oh, but you're too numbers? Kind. No, it's it's just a, a. It's actually kind of throwing myself under the bus a little bit here, but I fully admit when you throw a whole bunch of numbers in front of me, I I just glaze over. I'm just I t- I check out. So go to see if you want uh, a summary that makes sense (laughs) and explains how this is going to affect your bottom line, your pocket, go to CJOB.com. But you've got something that's, you've been really fired up this morning.
1: Yes. You know, yesterday afternoon we'd been talking, but we knew this carbon tax was coming in. We didn't know exactly how much money it was expected to generate. And maybe more importantly, where was the money going to go or where is the money slated to go? Well, of all the reaction, Todd McKay, Prairie Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, not mincing words when it comes to how he feels about the provincial budget and the carbon tax in particular. I'm going to play this clip for you right now.
2: It's a little bit like uh, getting a Christmas pr- uh, present from your toddler. Uh, you paid for it yourself. I mean, that's really what's happening here is that uh, taxpayers are paying, you know, $143 million in carbon taxes this year and getting back a fraction of this so that ultimately their taxes are up $118 million. Like, how is that a gift?
1: So it's actually $240 uh, million of uh, carbon tax, if I'm not mistaken, and we're getting some back in the form of that basic deduction mm-hmm. uh, is, is rising uh, dramatically. But there is no plan other than to put this carbon tax into sort of a future file and to put it into a savings account for future projects. And when I heard that, it just felt very reminiscent of what the city does with $30 million of money it collects out of waste and water rates here in our city, they put $30 million every year back into general revenue from, the, from your water bill, from your waste and water bill. There's a $1.4 billion sewage treatment plant that needs to be built in North Winnipeg. And if you put that over 10 years, $300 million is a pretty good down payment on this. And what I'd really like to see, my first tweet was, you know, what are we doing with this money? And somebody said, well, Mr. Premier, what would you do if you had the power uh, to do something with the money? And I didn't even have to think about it. The trucking industry is going to pay a big chunk of this carbon tax. $250 million or so dollars builds essentially an interchange on the perimeter highway. We've had this conversation many a time. Yep. Why not give One of the biggest industries, one industry that's supposed to be so crucial to Manitoba's economy. If this is about carbon, if this is about our carbon footprint get rid of the stoplights on the perimeter highway, give the trucking industry an opportunity to save some of that money, make things flow more efficiently transportation-wise, make Winnipeg and Manitoba more attractive, even, quote-unquote, more attractive to the transportation industry. That would be a genuine investment in my mind that would match up with where this tax is coming from and where it ought to go.
0: More on the budget throughout the morning here on 680 CJOB. Great that's a great suggestion, Greg, and it ties in with many of the things that we've discussed over the last few months here on 680 CJOB. We want to tell you this story here, uh, shocking allegations involving Canada's correctional system. Four female prison guards launching a $43 million lawsuit alleging sexual assault, physical abuse, and even waterboarding by their colleagues. The women, women all worked at a maximum security facility in Edmonton. Today, only one is still on the job, but all of them describe the sheer horror they encountered at work. Global Nationals Ottawa correspondent Abigail Beeman has this story and a warning that some of the details may be disturbing.
3: For one of the women, the abuse became so damaging, she stopped wearing her body armor, hoping an inmate would stab her and end it all. But the majority of the allegations in the statement of claim are not about inmates, but women who say they were abused by men they worked beside every day. The female and male guards have pseudonyms in the court document john doe number one is referenced by all four women jessica who became suicidal claims he used his genitals to stir women's drinks then told them later laughing she also alleges he'd chase her around with his genitals in hand and urinate into rubber gloves tie them off and throw them at her this is one of dozens of allegations others are far too disturbing to describe here The statement of claim describes the Edmonton institution as a workplace rife with discrimination, harassment, bullying, abuse of authority and sexual assault, and a culture of toxic masculinity and rampant misogyny. The Guards Union and the Correctional Service of Canada are both named as defendants. In several cases, the female guards say the aggressors were high-ranking union members. But the union isn't doing interviews today. It issued a statement saying it condemns harassment. The Correctional Service says it is taking this seriously. Here's what the minister responsible had to say. There is absolutely no room and no tolerance for behavior of the kind that has been alleged Uh, and uh, the investigation uh, will be thorough both within the Correctional Service of Canada and externally by the police uh, and appropriate consequences will follow. There is a history here. In January, six employees were fired as part of an investigation into harassment and intimidation of other staff and inmates. Edmonton police tell us their investigation is still ongoing. Last year, an external investigation found the prison has a, quote, toxic environment and made dozens of recommendations.
0: It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. The reality of child sexual exploitation, a four-part series from Global News and Global News Morning anchor Shannon Coozes, who has been working hard on this series for months now. She's here to tell us about part one.
4: So part one, we speak with two survivors of sexual exploitation and human trafficking in Canada who share their stories and kind of really just the terrifying realities of what's happening really around us every single day, but often in hidden vehicles, homes or drug houses. So we feature the story of Debbie Cumbie and Alea McIver. Debbie was trafficked across Canada, and she really shines a light on how sexual exploitation is the most common form of human trafficking. It's the exchange of sex for food, shelter, drugs, alcohol, money, or approval. And grooming is a big part of this process. Here's a listen into what she says happens. The
5: predators, uh, they know what they're looking for when they see young girls and young boys. they, They look for that isolated child. They look for that child that may not be dressed to par like the other children are. They're looking for that child that needs something that they're not getting at home or at school or with their peer group. They're looking for that child that doesn't fit in so that they can make that child feel good about themselves, make them feel like they're the only ones that matter, shower them with gifts, take them out to eat, get their nails done, things they wouldn't normally be able to do.
0: Shannon, how young are these children being targeted?
4: Well, a National Task Force report on sex trafficking of girls and women in Canada shows the average age of recruitment is 13 to 14 years old. Traffickers are often referred to as boyfriends instead of pimps. And RCMP data shows majority of traffickers in Canada are men of various ethnicities or races between the ages of 19 and 32. Now, traffickers can reap large profits from from exploiting children. And this is one of the main reasons that they do it. Sources tell global news that they can earn on average $300,000 each year per victim and often more money that the younger the victim is. Victims can earn between $500 and $1,000 daily by providing sexual services. Traffickers usually keep all of that money, although some victims are allowed to keep a portion of what they earned. Here's why one of the survivors, Debbie Cumbie, that we spoke with is now doing outreach to help children who are out on the streets being exploited find resources so they can escape this life. In some
5: cases, people's families do abandon them because they just, they can't help that person anymore. There's gotta be a time when we have to wanna help ourselves. And family, sometimes family just can't do that for you because they love you too much or they don't love you enough. And uh, they just, they've, they've had it, they can't do it. So that person really needs to find those supports, find those resources.
1: So Shannon, as we hear these stories, Clearly, there's a desire by many of these exploited children, these young women, and we can only imagine young men as well being exploited in this ring to get out and to find a way to escape this absolute nightmare.
4: Yes, and that's something that was really strong through the messages of the survivors of sexual exploitation and human trafficking that we spoke with, they really wanted to place an emphasis on different resources because there are a lot of places that are willing and wanting and trying to help. So what the survivors want people to do who are in a situation where they're being exploited is to reach out in a safe place to a community organization that could be Calling police that could be walking into somewhere like Mama Way, which is located downtown Winnipeg and asking for somebody to help them wherever they feel like it's a safe space to speak with an adult. That's a great place to reach out and ask for help and Also, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection, another great place to call, get in contact with. It's located right here in Winnipeg and works with children across Canada. And, of course, we will be sharing more resources throughout these stories on globalnews.ca, so make sure that you check those out so that you can spread them around and hopefully somebody in need of help will find these supports.
0: And hey, Shannon, uh, while we've got you here, do you want to just give us a a quick preview for Wednesday as well?
4: So Wednesday, we're going to take you behind the scenes with the Winnipeg Police Service Counter-Exploitation Unit. We'll show you how they're interacting with victims and trying to point them towards different supports. We'll also explain and share some tips from the Canadian Centre for Child Protection.
0: Global News morning anchor Shannon Coozes, The reality of child sexual exploitation. It's a four-part series which has begun today.
1: Party rock! All right, cheek out a bed on a Tuesday yeah. morning. on <laughs> the glass, Jerry. Greg Backling, Brett McGary, with you through until ten o'clock. A story that caught my attention yesterday afternoon, Brett. I know went uh, home a little bit early yesterday, uh, feeling uh, less than stellar yesterday, but this this story of West Vancouver is crazy. Have you ever had a party when the parents were away?
6: Mom, Dad, it's me, Thomas. Um, where do I start? Uh, this is supposed to be a small get-together. I wanted to be cool for one night. You know, I wanted girls to notice me. Then things got a little out of control. Yeah. Tonight's about the girls we never had a shot at. Tonight's about changing the game.
1: Hello? Thomas? Dad, hey. Well,
7: we just wanted to call one last time. Make sure you were set for the
1: night. Yep, all good. As the car ends up in the swimming pool. (laughs) That's for Project X, where a young man has a party at his own home. How about throwing a party at somebody else's house when they're away? Or here's one I bet you never contemplated, Brett. How about using your parents' credit card to rent an Airbnb and throw a party there? (laughs) That, <laughs> there are so many things wrong in so few words there. <laughs> That's exactly what one 14 year old Vancouver girl did, and it didn't go exactly as she would have planned. A group of 200 teenagers besieged this home and caused a minimum of $20,000 in the process. Reed Feist told us about a similar situation in Calgary from the homeowner's point of view back in May of 2015.
8: So it's been just like nonstop.
9: A week after their house was trashed by an Airbnb renter, the King's home remains a complete disaster. As they await cleanup crews, the couple is learning the damage cost has grown far higher than the initial $75,000 estimate, doubling the bill to close to $150,000.
8: They said definitely the police estimate was very low, and so it'll be significantly more than what the police had initially estimated.
9: And life will not get back to normal anytime soon. It will take two to three months to complete repairs. Part of the reason, hazmat crews want to treat everything damaged in what some described as a drug induced orgy.
8: We're gonna to have to take everything um, out of the house, treat it on site for, um, to kill the, the biohazardous
2: um, substances uh, before they can put it in the landfill.
9: The couple says Airbnb will cover the costs and provide alternative housing through its host guarantee.
7: It's a horrible thing that happened to that family.
9: The insurance industry says this is a reminder for everyone that a normal homeowner's policy only insures you when you're living in the home.
0: It's a completely different story when you use your home or even a cottage as a rental property. That's something that you would need to talk to your insurance representative about and be properly insured to take that into account.
9: Otherwise The Kings are looking into what their insurance will cover. They also hope websites like Airbnb will use their nightmare experience to make sure only responsible renters use their site. My
2: point of view, it would take maybe a more intense screening process uh,
9: um,
2: facilitated through the web service.
9: Calgary police say they know who rented the home and are collecting evidence to press charges. Officers hope to make an arrest later this week So someone is held responsible. Reid Feist, Global News, Calgary. Well, now I know why when I rented an Airbnb
1: in Montreal, there were a lot of questions (laughs) from the homeowner, from the condo owner. Really? Yeah, who's coming with you? Why are you coming to Montreal? It was very much like a job slash personality interview. I had never heard of this before, but it makes complete sense that these things are happening. We know what happens in in hotels from time to time. I mean, I'm a Van Halen fan. I know what they've done to (laughs) hotel rooms over the years back in the day.
0: I tried to rent a cabin. In the Granite Hills, sort of Lac Dubani area, for a golf weekend, and there would have it was would have been for the annual uh, boys golf tournament. I was just looking into this cabin that would have held, I think, up to twelve guys, and that's what we had—ten to twelve guys. And I think after the, so there was a reply from the owner of the property, and when they asked how many people there would be, and. <laughs> uh, I said, I think it'll be about 12 guys, and the, the conversation just ended there. There was no reply, and I, I, I made it clear that we're all in our 30s and 40s. Some of us, we're not a bunch of 20-year-old hooligans. Yes, there will be some, consum- you know, there will be, we will be drinking. It's a weekend, but... We're not going to tear the house apart, but there was, that's and I get it, you know, hey, it's their place, they can rent it out to whoever they want. But yeah, it it can be hard to to rent some of these properties, and parties like this, this Vancouver instance, I think, is hopefully going to make people think a little more carefully about who they rent their stuff out to. I wonder what the punishment is for the for the girl that stole
1: the credit card and had the <laughs> had the party. Like, are you grounded, like, forever? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, how do you work off a $20,000 in damage? It's Mackling and McGarry on this Tuesday morning. Mackling and McGarry
1: in the morning. Shanalee Lee Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, and, of course, the omnipresent behind-the-glass Jerry. We're going to have a little bit of a chat here about our previous segment when we heard... Just tuning in about a couple of over the top parties with even more over the top messes. The most recent of those get togethers happened in West Vancouver, where police allege a 14 year old girl used her parents' credit card to rent a house through Airbnb and, well, to have a party. She's they, a genius, by the way. Yeah, hello. No <laughs> kidding. They ended up having 200 guests and a twenty thousand dollar cleanup bill for her parents. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Jeff Braun awesome. thinks this is fantastic. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the parties we maybe threw or attended. Once upon a time, I'm not concerned because my dad's in Arizona. I didn't grow up living with my dad, and my mom's passed away. So I get to air lots of dirty laundry this morning, and I can't wait. But let's start with you, Jeff Braun.
7: Oh, uh, I'm from a small town, so our parties could could just simply couldn't beat very big because there weren't enough people. <laughs>
1: Well, okay. oh, I so thought we because had, inevitably people yeah. would find out
7: about it. So at that too, because you, you couldn't really get away with anything. My, I did have one buddy whose parents were gone often in the summer times at the cabin, and he hosted a lot of parties, and we never really got caught, and I don't understand why. Um, and we'd always, the cleanup was never, it would be messy, but eight or ten of us would stick around the next morning and help clean up before you went home kind of deal. That was just sort of the unwritten rule. Uh, pro tip always look under mom and dad's pillows on their bed because you always got that one friend that likes to put a beer bottle cap under the pillow just to (laughs) see if they can't uh, snitch. A friend? Yeah, Yeah, friends like that. (laughs) Some things seem like good ideas at 2 in the morning,
0: you know? No, Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, Jerry. We're waiting. We understand you've got a doozy.
10: Oh, yeah. Great story. Uh, I wasn't there. Thank goodness. But uh, my brother and sister, my sister is eight years older than me. My brother is six years older than me. I was in about grade three at the time, staying at grandma and grandpa's place. Mom and dad were uh, at the cottage. And uh, the police estimate that about eight hundred to a thousand people were on the premises Whoa. when when they got there. Um, the neighbor across the street, real cool guy, he uh, he helped them clean up all the uh, empty uh, beer bottles and cans and other things. Uh, and the caveat on that was that he got to keep all the money. Of course, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he made. Uh, oh, he said it was about two hundred bucks. Whoa. That's yeah, uh, and uh, the entire house was trashed. People splashed uh, uh, bleach over all the carpets and uh, over all of our clothing and everything. My sister wasn't allowed to get her license for another two years after that. Um, had to pay for you know all new carpeting in the house and uh, uh, all my new clothes. So I got a whole new wardrobe.
7: He <laughs> 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 <Holy> smokes. <laughs> And, and the funny
10: thing is, when I got into high school, uh, my my first teacher I had said, uh, you uh, Rob and Becky's brother? And I said, yes. Oh, that was some party they had, eh? Anyway. <laughs> 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 Apparently it was the oh. thing of legend. Even the teachers at the school knew about it.
1: Legendary. Wow. Kelly Moore, how uh, forthright are you prepared to be it's this morning? Not even forthright. I mean, I, I, we lived in the middle of nowhere until I was 13 years old, so you just there was no chance it was even smaller than the Altona population of about eight uh, where we lived and uh, and then when I moved down to the the Fraser Valley when you' when you move at that age it's hard to break into friendship circles so, I could have had a party, but nobody would have come. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Did you crash oh, any? Yeah. Did you at least go crash some parties? I was never invited to crash oh, parties oh, either. Kelly. Oh, Kelly. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's the thing that's about crashing way- a party you go when you're not invited. Anyway, yeah. 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 Tell 18 year old Kelly Moore that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Reach for the yeah. bleach. No. i right. never even heard of any great
0: parties. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: Talk Kelly. a sheltered life. And usually you ramp up the conversation. That was kind of a downer. Shanelie huh. Vidal?
0: Uh,
11: I'm actually with Kelly here. I never got invited to any parties. Never really had the opportunity to throw any... any a, a, them because I never really had a lot of friends growing up and uh, my parents never left the house. They would never go away for overnight or anything Smart like that. Us. Never ever ever. So I'm sure my brother would have loved to have thrown a big party, but my parents never gave gave us the opportunity. Uh grow it, like when I as an adult I've had people over. Maybe I think we've had up to 20 people, which is a big party for us. And you know, you have you does leave a mess, but The thing is you kind of pick up a little bit as you go along and then you leave it till the morning. That's all.
0: Also, just a reminder here, uh, we're getting more text messages about this uh, crash at Bishop Grandin and Dakota. There's a crash between a taxi and a half-ton truck, so watch out for that if you're heading towards Bishop Grandin and Dakota. I was actually at a party on uh, the weekend it was the the fourth annual laker uh, fourth not so annual laker sweatpants party in which you are not allowed per you're you're not allowed entry unless you're wearing sweatpants the it. idea is that everyone's going to be comfy like um, so we're going to play games just wear sweatpants and hang out and be comfy um and at towards the end of the night i was sitting in the kitchen with three of my friends while others were downstairs and i'm looking around and uh, all the empty cans and there's plates and we're sitting at the kitchen island, and I just started cleaning. <laughs>
11: oh, don't uh, be that guy. I'm sitting, to this.
0: I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here. I might as well start to help. I figured I'll give them a leg up because there's going to be a big mess, and this will help just a, a little bit. I didn't try to clean the whole place. I just organized a couple of things and uh what do you mean don't be that guy
11: well it's one thing to you know try and help be helpful and offer to help which is great but don't be the guy who's there doing all the dishes and sweeping everything and and you know making the host feel bad because they're a pig
0: that's i
7: don't think that's one well, <laughs> one of my friends i agree with her i find it i'm it's obnoxious if someone comes into my house and starts cleaning it's like you know what well you clean find, your own house you find I'll clean everything mine. obnoxious just though. leave it alone you don't know where my stuff goes. I like it done a certain way. I got no problem doing it myself. I, also, I also,
11: I'd want the guests to just enjoy the party. If they, if they take their dishes to the kitchen, then that is that is stupendous. If they can do that, that's wonderful. That's a, a big, big help. And if they can even offer, that's appreciative. And maybe I'll take it up, take you up. But for the most part, I want people to just come over, enjoy whatever. Oh, and they have to feed themselves. They have to serve their own food. <laughs>
1: We got a text message at 706868. We hired a live-in pet sitter for our dog when we went on vacation. We came home, we received a follow-up phone call from a carpet cleaning service wanting to know if we were happy with the service we received. <laughs> 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 what service? Question mark, exclamation. Question uh. mark, exclamation. When we checked the living room where the carpet had been cleaned, we found the walls and ceiling covered in what we think were drinks. I guess our golden retriever was really living it up <laughs> while we were away.
0: I uh, confess that I did that once at a party. Uh, I managed to get my drink on the ceiling. Really? Yeah. I was. I tried to, like— Bend Over to put my shoe on or something, and I slipped and my I kind of <laughs> sort of slipped back, and the drink went way up into the ceiling. But
11: you were tall, so it wouldn't be Uh-oh. that much of a stretch. That's a good point. Uh, it was a
0: pretty high ceiling. Yeah,
1: good. Oh, well, we're just about out of time. I'm not going to be able to uh, have that confessional after all. Are you... How you've much got about 60 yeah. seconds. All right. Well, I don't know what story to tell about the time we rented the hot tub and when we woke up in the morning, it was black because of all the dirt that was in the hot tub or at the time <laughs> my friend Michael Jansen ripped the head of a cutout life-size Mr. Roboto that my little brother cherished in his bedroom. Uh, we, My parties were legendary from junior high right through high school because my mom would go away to Brandon for the weekend quite often. We had great parties. The cops never showed up. But I'll tell you this, when we didn't have a party, my mom was devastated because when she came home after we had a party, our house was was spotless, Spotless. (laughs) top to bottom. And one time she said, you didn't have a party this weekend. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? She says... How stupid do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to coming home to the house being immaculate. Look at this place. Have a party next time. I have a party. It's time for breakfast with the bombers. It's brought to you by the cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca. A better place for you. Of course, CFL week, brought to you by Marks, coming to Winnipeg next week. It feels as though we've been talking about this for weeks, if not months now, Brett, and we're on the precipice of this finally getting going, a great opportunity for fans to connect with players of the Canadian Football League in this off-season to chat about this stuff. We are joined by our friend at CFL.ca, Brody Lawson. Good morning, Brody. Good morning, Brad and Greg. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Uh, we're warming up the weather nice for you here in Winnipeg. So hopefully, I know you have had a pretty rough winter down east, so hopefully it will feel like a little bit of relief coming to the prairies next week. We'll, we'll, we'll keep everyone warm with our hospitality, the weather or both. I assure you that.
12: I have no doubt. We love that hospitality out west.
1: So tell us a little bit, uh, overarching, what is Mark's uh, CFL Week and and where did it originate and why are you doing this?
12: Mark's CFL Week, I think the best way for for fans to think about this is that this is a fan event. You know, when you look at a Grey Cup, we know that fans go crazy for that sort of community feel, being all together and sharing in the love of the game. And so it felt like a long time to wait to get all the way to Grey Cup and the off-season can feel really long in the CFL, so... Last year was our first year for Mark CFL week in Regina. And it was, I mean, a huge success. I don't know if you guys remember the press around the event, but our team just did a fantastic job. The city welcomed us with open arms. The fans reception was incredible. And so I don't think there was any doubt in, you know, in in my boss's minds anyway, that we were going to continue uh, this awesome event. So we are so excited to be in Winnipeg. What an awesome group of, of CFL fans. I love getting out to investors group field. Um, and so, I, I, again, I think the best way to think of it is just a fan event. Everything we do this week is about the fans. It's for the fans. It's a big fan fest. We want everyone to come together bring the family, all ages, um, and there's just a ton of events, which we can, we can talk about those too.
0: Well, one of the events that I would actually like to ask you about uh, because I'm a bit of a nerd and uh, I like techie things, uh, there's a virtual reality football simulator. What's, what's the deal with that?
12: Uh, that will be um, at the RBC uh, Convention Center. So the idea is that you're able to kind of get immersed in the world of a CFL player. Um, and and I mean, it's just a really, it's a really neat event. There's more information on, uh, the CFL, markcflweek.ca. Um, it's when you do the drills, you're actually going to be going through drills and you're going to get sort of immersed, um, in, in, in the CFL world.
1: There's actually an opportunity, Brody, to to act like and to be in the middle of the play like a CFL official and decide whether or not you should throw a flag on a particular play. All sorts of neat stuff. Now, some of the players that are coming to Winnipeg for CFL week, the extensive list of players, it's 52 of the very best players in the Canadian Football League. Yeah, I
12: think fans that's really the coo- coolest part or in my mind is probably the coolest part 52 of the top players across the league like you said for Bombers fans guys like Nat Nichols, Andrew Harris, Weston Dressler, Mo Leggett uh even Milt Stiegel is going to be out there they're all doing an autograph signing but no matter what team you cheer for across the league um you know Caleros, Roosevelt, Greg Ellingson, uh Charleston Hughes we're talking Odell Willis, Manny Arsenault, uh, it's just a huge, huge group, and uh, that's getting up close and personal with these guys, getting a chance to get an autograph, having a conversation with them. You don't have to worry about the barrier of the field. They're right there for you.
0: Now, there's another thing here that uh, caught my attention, uh, certainly because I'm, I'm sure that Greg is excited about it. It's the, uh, the Ryderville at Mark's uh, <laughs> CFL Week.
1: How did you allow this, Brody? How, how did this get on the schedule?
12: Okay, so you have to think of it, if you've been to a Grey Cup, you have to think of it like a Grey Cup week. So the idea is that they're just throwing a party for us. There's going to be food and beverage, just kind of a fun event for fans to all get together. Think of it like a Grey cup week party where fans just kind of go to the different houses, the different events. It's meant for everyone. We want everyone to go. They're just kind of throwing a great party um, at the twisted tea fan cave. And I think that's, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. It's
1: all good. Mm-hmm. I'm to a barrier at the border and <laughs> call Donald Trump. See if we can get that border wall built between Manitoba and Saskatchewan. I digress. <laughs> I digress. (laughs) Uh, The CFL will announce its Hall of Fame inductees for 2018. And this is really cool. There's going to be a Hall of Fame gala dinner at the Pinnacle Club where, where, you know, the public will be. And to top it all off, those that are being inducted will be on hand as well.
12: That's exactly right. And if you want to attend that event, you can head over to markcflweek.ca. There's tickets there for that event. Last year, it was amazing. There was... Uh, A panel discussion and it's sort of a you know a dressed up evening and I think you know to be there for that and to kind of feel elevated in that evening um, is really awesome. Now that panel this year it was as well as hosted by um, Rod Smith so just a really cool evening and again one of the few actually events you pay for but just if, if that's something you're interested in totally worthwhile.
1: Yeah, can't wait to get the kids out and, and try out yeah. all the different interactive stuff that will be taking place at the RBC Convention Center Thursday and Friday from 3 till 10, and then Saturday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and then 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. Uh, it really is a fan fest. I was at Major League Baseball Fan Fest uh, during the All-Star Game in Seattle back in 2001, and uh, this is going to be very, very similar to that. Really looking forward to it. Brody, thank you for uh, giving us some insight into this fantastic you know, event. Looking forward to it,
12: guys. We'll be seeing you. We we'll see you next week and uh it's going to be a ton of fun. All
0: right. All right. Brody okay, Lawson bye. cfl.ca. Thank you very much for joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB and also next week for uh Breakfast with the Bombers. We will be joined in studio by Commissioner Randy Ambrosi and a very special guest mm-hmm. going to join us in studio. Can't wait for that.
1: Outstanding. Randy Ambrosie, of course, a graduate of the University of Manitoba, Bison's football team, longtime player in the CFL, getting rave reviews for his work as commissioner. These
0: fan type events, uh, I'm just thinking uh, to when I went to WrestleMania X7 in, in Houston, on planet Houston. It's a Superman reference for Jerry, um, but the uh, it was they had this fan festival kind of deal in the convention center next to the Astrodome where the event was held. Uh, side note: there is a sign, a really unsettling sign, as you walked into the convention center that said "No Firearms Allowed." Oh yes, you see that in the <laughs> United States quite often. But it was it was a, a super immersive kind of event that took place for a few the couple of days leading up to the big dance. So good on the CFL for putting an event together like this that is not immediately associated with the Grey Cup, it's something that's outside of the big party to get people thinking about football outside of when they might normally think about it because often we don't think about CFL till what May really, June when it starts to get going. So this think, is a great way to get fans involved, uh, particularly agree. the kids.
1: I agree. The The CFL's done an incredible job of marketing itself and staying relevant in the off-season times in the last couple of years. And here in this marketplace, this is going to be embraced absolutely with open arms here in Winnipeg.
0: And the virtual reality thing, by the way, you can test your accuracy with hard-hitting Stats inside the kicking simulator. You kick a football through a simulated field goal post and get accurate real-time information to see how you measure up. Yeah, that's fun.
1: uh, You know, kicking is a lot more difficult than you might imagine. Kicking a football is a difficult task. So uh, I like these things because you get just a tiny bit of insight, especially the referee one. I'm looking forward to trying that one because we all yell at the refs, How did you miss that ref? (laughs) You'll find out how they missed it. Yesterday, the provincial budget came down, and the city always has all eyes on the provincial budget, Brett. Funding from the province flows to the city on a variety of fronts, including transit, infrastructure, as well as a lump sum.
0: And we are joined now live on 680 CJOB by Councillor Scott Gillingham, Finance Chair for the City of Winnipeg. Councillor Gillingham, good morning, sir. Good morning, Greg and Brett. So Mayor Bowman spoke with 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier yesterday, and he told Richard uh, the city had three main priorities heading into this budget. So here's the first one, and then we'll ask you about that.
8: You know, it's kind of a wait-and-see budget. Uh, We had three budgetary asks for the province of Manitoba. Uh, The first was uh, support for our our accelerated regional roads program, which is attempting to access federal dollars. Uh, We don't have an answer from the provincial government today, and so there's only 19 days left in that program and that availability of funds. Uh, We're going to have to wait and see from the province in the coming weeks whether they support addressing the number one priorities of, of Winnipegers, which is fixing the roads.
1: Councillor Gillingham, I assume that that's 18 days now for the city to capitalize on this federal program. Where do you suspect this is going to end up?
13: Yes, uh, that's right. The clock is ticking and we are down here to just over two weeks. Um, I, I, well, I believe, that the, I believe that the conversation will continue with, with the province, but uh, they, the province understands the city's requests. In fact, we uh, passed a motion unanimously to council in July of last year to put this request forward. So, uh, you know, the the
1: province has had this information. They've had this request since July of last year. What is that program exactly, Councillor Gillingham, for those that aren't familiar with it and how you created that priority real quick?
13: It's a a federal program called New Build Canada. It came out in 2014. What it does is the federal government allocated uh, 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 basically a pot of money to each province. The province of Manitoba got a pot of money. Those funds are to be spent... Uh, in cities and in municipalities on infrastructure projects.
0: Now, the province uh, froze transit funding last year. That was also an item the mayor was hoping to see addressed. Here's what he had to say.
8: Uh, We had also asked, our second ask was the uh, reversal of their unilateral decision to end the 50-50 transit cost-sharing agreement. Um, We didn't hear today, and so the presumption, of course, is that uh, they're not going to be changing their minds on that, and the transit fare increase will regrettably remain in place.
1: So, Councilor Gillingham, how how do you keep transit a priority in the city of Winnipeg? Uh, a lot of people say it's not a it's not a cut; it's just a freeze in funding. How do you continue to make transit one of the city's top priorities?
13: Well, we we the city itself continues to to invest. Unfortunately, as the mayor indicated uh, through the budget last year, we had to bring in a fare increase, a sizable fare increase in total twenty five cents, and that. Unfortunately, it looks like it will remain in place, but um, what uh, you know what, what the mayor mentioned is is we were he mentioned the fact that it was a unilateral decision by the province and that's I guess what becomes problematic is that when uh, you know we don't know this really ahead of time it's not done through negotiation or discussion with with the with the province when it's a unilateral decision the city's in a place where unfortunately we have to react and, and, and we had to react to that instance. Uh, in the future years, though, transit needs to continue to be a priority. Improving the current transit system we have and making investments for, for new transit is something that continue, the city will continue to do.
1: Now, all municipalities get a certain percentage of their buz- budget from the province, and that funding remains flat, $312 million to municipalities around the province, $115.5 million to the city of Winnipeg. Here's uh, Mayor Bowman on that.
8: Uh, the third ask was an effort to work collaboratively with the province to come up with a new and smarter funding mechanism for municipalities. So,
1: conversation continue on that, Councillor Gillingham. Yeah, I, I think that it does. It,
13: it has to, and I think now, you know, obviously I agree with the mayor. And, and now, probably more than ever, is is it's so important that a new funding framework be established. I mean, uh, you know, for example, two two areas: carbon pricing and cannabis legislation. Uh, are coming into effect, and, and those will result in the province receiving revenue, while the city will incur costs associated with both carbon pricing and cannabis. I mean, the city of Winnipeg, uh, you know, on, on, on the carbon tax, the city of Winnipeg has a large fleet of cars, trucks, and buses. Um, you know, carbon tax on fuel will drive up the city's operating costs, and yet the province is frozen the city's operating funding at 2016 level. So there needs to be discussion and there needs to be a new funding framework that is established that's long-term, predictable, and growth-oriented.
1: Now, I've drawn the correlation uh, to the provincial plan for this $250 million a year carbon tax revenue to how the city manages to take $30 million away from water and waste and put it in general revenue. That's a discussion we can have another time. But they're not pegging this money for any specific investment. And I wonder how you feel about that. We're seeing provincial spending on infrastructure, roads, et cetera, bridges, bypasses, Uh, $502 million last year. It's down to $350 million this year. My thought this morning that I've been floating was maybe they should be reinvesting some of that money into interchanges, uh, in particular on the perimeter highway. But as I'm speaking with you and listening to the conversation with regard to transit, maybe some of that money should be going back to transit.
5: Well,
13: again you know a couple of things first of all as the mayor you know stated and i reiterate when we talk to the citizens of Winnipeg they consistently and continue, continuously say fixing the roads is the number one priority we have an infrastructure deficit uh of around 7 billion dollars um so there needs to be ongoing investment in infrastructure uh we need ongoing investment in in our transit system as well um the the province did announce uh i think it was 40 million dollars to fund for green projects, but there is no clarity on what that is, and so I think through ongoing discussion with the province, uh, hopefully we can we can you know come to um, some understanding of what uh, you know what what some of these new programs or these two new programs like the, the forty million for green projects and one hundred two million for the environment, just try to understand what those are, and uh, and again to continue to press upon the province the uh, the needs and the priorities of the citizens of Winnipeg.
0: Councillor Scott Gillingham, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. City's finance chair, talking provincial budget with Mackling and McGarry, coming up just after the 8 o'clock news. Three things with Shanalee Vidal. She's going to tell you how you can make your bookshelf a little more worldly. Global News at 8 with Jeff Braun is next.
6: One, two, three.
0: Time for three things with Shanalee Vidal. And today it's three things for... Bookworms. Hi.
11: Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Are you
0: a bookworm, Chanelie <laughs> Vidal?
11: I confess, and I have a lot of books.
1: I know you have hundreds of books, correct?
11: Yeah, probably. Yes, could be, you there have cartons. You have thousands. Ca-
1: yeah, you have cartons wow. and cartons of books. You should books. open a library.
11: <laughs> I'm actually. I want to get one of those free little libraries in front of my my house. I'm working on it. Oh, you know nice. what?
1: Those are really cool. They're neat. Yeah, if you want me to build the little house for you. I'll build it.
11: Oh, you're you, you you're handy. Yes. I
1: didn't, you didn't realize. know that.
11: I didn't realize. I may, okay, I may take you up on that All one. All
0: right. Let me know. So, yeah, Greg does many things. He does many things well, and I do most things not well. So... <laughs>
11: So you balance each other out yes. perfectly. <laughs> so the nominees are out for the Man Booker International Prize. And that award is given out to a single book in English translation. And the prize money is split evenly between the author and the translator. So it's a pretty big deal because that prize works out to about $45,000 Canadian apiece. Why didn't you
1: tell me about this a few weeks ago? I could have got, <laughs> got, got cracking on something. There's
11: always, there's always next year. So this year we have 13 <laughs> contenders, including Iraq, uh, Iraqi writer Ahmad Sadawais' "Frankenstein in Baghdad," that depicts real image, ima, real and imaginary horrors from the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq.
1: Oh my!
11: Uh, South Korea's Han Kang, who won in 2016 for "The Vegetarian." That sounds like a great title. Is nominated again for the White Book. Uh, novels from Germany, France, Spain, Portugal, Poland, Austria, Hungary, Argentina, and Taiwan are also on the list. Now, this is a counterpart to the prestigious Man Booker Prize, which I'm sure you've heard of. That is open to all books published in any language that have been translated into, uh, and is op- This is open to books in any language that have been- that has been open to books. I'm I'm completely messed up here. Okay, so the Man Booker Prize is the one is that are, is more open for any books. This one is for books that are tra- have been translated into English. And so what's really interesting is Alice Munro actually won this particular prize in I think tw- 2009, mm-hmm. and that was for her body of work. But now she's ineligible to win, as are uh, a lot of a lot of Canadian writers because a lot of Canadian literature is actually written in English. Okay. So you can't be eligible unless it's translated as of twenty sixteen. Okay. Yeah. So get your get yourself a little bit more worldly. When are
1: they announcing the winner?
11: That's gonna be the short list is gonna be coming out in April on the twelfth, and the winner will be out on the twenty second.
1: Okay. Twenty second of May, which is a, an May, awesome, right. awesome day.
11: That's uh, that's just saying
1: write it down.
11: That's uh, right around the Victoria. Yeah, long just write weekend. it down.
1: I'll be expecting a cake and candles that day. Just write it down.
0: I'll get, you, I'll get you a chocolate- covered uh, millennium falcon from sweets and oh, bakery. Oh, 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 <laughs> perfect.
1: So What's number two. The
11: next one, we're getting a little bit little bit heavier. It has to do with uh, Malala Yousafzai. Chris, I'm sure you all remember her. 20 years, she's a 20 year old Pakistani advocate, uh, activist. She came to prominence when a Taliban gunman shot her in the head in 2012 after she was targeted for a campaign against efforts by the Taliban to deny women education. 2014, she became the youngest person to win a Nobel Peace Prize. She was 17. And she came out with a best selling memoir a couple of years ago called I Am Malala. So Little Brown Books has announced that she has a new book coming out in September. It's called We Are Displaced. So it's going to combine her own experiences with accounts she has heard while visiting refugee camps. It sounds like it's going to be a really neat book. And she's hoping to show the humanity behind the statistics. And uh, by the way, I didn't know this, but she actually had came out with a children's book uh, like last year. It's called Malala's Magic Pencil. It's a picture book. Looks really neat, and for my friends with kids, I'm actually going to be uh, considering getting it for them. And by the way, Malala didn't know this either. She was made a a honorary Canadian citizen a couple of months ago. I'm oh, going nice. to
1: give you one more one of David Letterman's first guests on my next guest on next Netflix.
11: That's right. I actually I just saw that coming up on uh, the next episode.
0: Cool. I, that's great. I might have yeah. to check that out.
11: Yeah. Uh, so the next one, the third thing, also a heavy a heavy subject. And so, so of course, everybody knows junior hockey coach Graham James, convicted of abusing former NHL stars in their early years. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible story. Uh, like Sheldon Kennedy, Theo, Theo Fleury, they've come out and they they've spoken, they've told their stories, but but we're kind of forgetting that not everyone was an NHL star who who was abused. And uh, we're going to be talking to Greg Galuli later on in the show. And he's someone who came forward about the abuse he suffered as a young hockey player. He went on to become a lawyer and an author. And he wrote a book that just came out earlier this month, I believe on March 3rd. It's called I Am Nobody, Confronting the Sexually Abusive Coach Who Stole My Life. And so we'll have him on on the show from 9.30 to 10 o'clock. And also you can see him in person. He's going to be doing a speaking engagement to the criminal law students and faculty at the University of Manitoba and that's at Robson Hall and that's happening today at noon and that is open to the public.
1: Yeah, the, he uh, the graduated from Princeton University. He's a brilliant man and his story is uh, gripping beyond words so you'll want to make sure you're around at uh,
0: 9.35 this morning. Shenley Vidal, thank you very much. Three things with Shenley Heard every day after the 8 o'clock news.
1: Backling McGarry, I'm Greg, he's Brett. Behind the glass, Jerry, taking care of all the tunage, making sure we stick to the clock. On the way in this morning, Brett, impossible to miss. I'm guessing you didn't go down Portage Avenue. I came right through downtown. Major operation to get rid of the snow banks on Portage Ave which I would imagine alleviates some of the sidewalk concerns that we've been talking about. And I would uh, hopeful, I'd be hopeful that this will be happening throughout the downtown over the next couple of days.
0: And we had a chat about this yesterday. You heard some of what Savannah Piers had to say during Global News at 8.30 with Jeff Braun. Here she joins us with a unique perspective on this issue.
3: The winter storm that hit Winnipeg was nearly a week ago. City crews were hard at work clearing the streets, but some people say the sidewalks are still a mess. It's especially difficult for people with vision loss to navigate the snowy walkways. Certified vision rehab therapist Tracy Garbutz says the sidewalks seem to be getting cleared all right at first, but then he found more snow pushed back into the
14: sidewalks this week. Finding a big
9: mound that was kind of left again on the sidewalk this morning and I climbed over it,
14: tripped and fell twice in one morning and um, it's
9: pretty frustrating because I just don't understand why it's just kind of left where it was. It doesn't make much sense.
3: Savannah Piers, Global News.
1: Cheryl Anderson, Acting Manager of Street Maintenance, spoke with Hal Anderson. No relation to discuss how we got here. Here's a little bit of that discussion.
7: I think everybody agrees you guys did a great job with the streets. I've not heard anybody uh, say anything different than that. Why have the sidewalks been challenging?
14: The sidewalks have been challenging uh, because of the um, the type of snow that came down. It was a very heavy and wet snow, mm-hmm. and with that colder weather, it, it made it turn more into a to a, an icy type of snow. So we did have a few more challenges. We did switch to blowers for a lot of our locations that could move through that uh, the harder snow, and and that was one of the changes we made along in the in the clearing to ensure that we could get through.
0: Now the city has. Been- plowed streets and sidewalks. That doesn't mean there aren't, as the city calls them, deficiencies.
14: You know, we've had plows through the majority of our infrastructure, whether that's street or sidewalk, um, since the storm. And right now we have crews out dealing with some deficiencies or some of our problem areas where there are storage issues.
7: So what was the issue then?
14: A lot of times when we have some, some sidewalk issues is related to storage, that there isn't enough room for all the snow. So we may get a, a case where if a plow goes down, it pushes some snow onto the sidewalk. And it also happens where if a sidewalk plow goes down, it pushes it into the street. So we send crews out then to deal with that deficiency and move the snow and, and try to clean it up as best we can.
1: So a sense of urgency for a lot of people on this, if you're not sensing that in the actions of the city, we would love to hear from you. A part of our job here at 680 B is to hold the city accountable for things that they are supposed to do on your behalf. We're taxpayers. We pay for this service, millions of dollars every single year, whether you're a pedestrian, a transit user, or drive a car, park a car in a back lane. If you're seeing what the city calls deficiencies, in snow clearing, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email. It's gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com, and pictures are very valuable in this. And also, don't be shy to reach out on social media. Don't be shy to call 311 and voice your complaints because if the city doesn't know they're not doing it right and we don't tell them that they're not doing it right, it's it makes it pretty tough for them to to catch up with contractors and to get out there and say, hey,
0: you guys need to fix this. We spoke with Manitoba Hydro a couple of times last week after the storm. Right. And he was made clear every single time that we spoke to them, please call us. If you are experiencing an outage, we need to know where to go. And if you don't tell us, we might not figure it out on our own. And it's the same thing with the city. You know, I can tell you all the various potholes I run over. How many times have I, called, have I reported one? Zero. Right. I just never... I always just figure they'll get to it.
1: Right. It's always somebody else's job, right? Yeah. And to have a better city, I've always believed that you, you need to be a pain in the rear end sometimes. I know when I call 311. I know they're looking up my phone number and they see my long list of complaints that I've had over the years. But you know what? Either you're part of the problem or part of the solution. It's like going out to a restaurant. You're a customer at a restaurant. You're a customer at the city. And if you're unhappy with the service you're getting at a restaurant, most of us complain to management. A lot of us don't, but I think most of us do. Same thing goes for the city. If you're unhappy with the services that you're getting for your uh, $1,100 a year, your $12,000 a year, somewhere in between that you pay in your taxes, speak up. It's the only way to make things better. And here's a text that kind of highlights that, Brett. Hey guys, regarding snowfall or snow removal, pardon me, it seems that the city only responds after an outcry from the public on CJOB. They're never on top of the snow removal. They just sit back and wait to see if taxpayers are ticked off. That's their management style. Watch, wait,
0: react. Hey, by the way, speaking of reacting, I want to make sure we don't forget uh, because we had a caller who reacted to our contest for the tickets to World of Wheels at RBC Convention Center, and we posed a question. You brought up the subject of going for a Sunday night cruise and collector cars and custom cars, and I pointed out how they're are at least two iterations of a custom vehicle that roam the streets of Winnipeg from time to time over the summer, and it has to do with Scooby-Doo. It's the vehicle that Scooby-Doo and the gang use. Do that again, Jerry? (laughs) That's not bad. I thought it was recording. Who was the winner today? James Cullis. James Cullis, and he knew the answer was what, Jerry. The mystery machine. That's right, the mystery machine. The first time I saw it, it blew my mind. It was so nice. Uh, I was like looking at the cartoon that had just come to life. It was so nice and shiny. So kudos if the if the owner of the mystery machine is listening to this, good for you.
1: I have, a, I have an acquaintance named Dave. Yeah. He's uh, building a replica of Kit.
0: Oh, <laughs> nice. It's, Will it have the voice?
1: Oh, yeah. It's pretty cool. Which
0: Kit? Like We're talking about the good Kit, right? Not the crappy one in no, the remake? the good one.
1: The good one from the original Knight Rider.
0: Very cool. If you're listening,
1: Dave, I know you listen regular. There's your shout out you've been waiting six years for. <laughs> Sounds like Steve Vai or something similar. That's Brian May. Brian May? Very nice. Of course. He's almost as good as Steve Vai. Bite your tongue. (laughs) That's behind the glass, Gary. I'm Greg Mackling. I think you heard Brett McGarry say, of course, thanks for spending some of your morning with us here on 680 CJOB. Joining us in studio, uh, you know, we have a top 10 list, top 5, and a top 3 list of our favorite get- no we don't we just love to visit with Hannah Pratt I number 11 good morning no you you be on you be on most of those lists i promise uh the question for our listeners are you a bride to be and fretting because you're having a hard time finding the money to put towards a dress for your special day we have an answer for you it's
0: the Winnipeg dress collective it's uh well you know what Rather than us explain what it is, let's get Hannah Pratt from the Winnipeg Dress Collective to explain it. Welcome back, Hannah.
15: Thank you for having me. So the Winnipeg Dress Collective is a charitable giving project. It's gowns for grads, but for brides. Um, It started with me giving my own wedding dress away that was never used this past August through Kijiji Post, and I was overwhelmed with the amount of stories and responses I had to it. And the only criteria was, tell me your story and why you deserve a free wedding dress. Um, I saw an opportunity to collect wedding dresses new and used from friends who said, hey, I want to do this and match them with Brides in Need. And out was born the Winnipeg Dress Collective, which has been um, an amazing experience of seeing the community come together. So over since August, I've been collecting wedding dresses. I've had Best Care Dry Cleaners come on board and offer to clean all of them. Leading up to this event we have on Sunday at the Forks, again getting the space for free and it's a day long event where I'm going to be matching dresses with pre-approved brides um, in a kind of appointment basis and they're going to get the experience that they would at a bridal salon they're going to get the choice of the dresses try them on there's going to be fantastic decor and I need more brides to give free wedding dresses to. <laughs>
1: okay, this is, now. Okay, now typically you're on the other side, right? When when you're in a charity situation, or and, and that word is harsh sometimes for some people. But when you're in a situation where you're trying to do something kind like this, typically you have more applicants than you can actually help.
15: Yes. Are you in the flip side I'm, on this? I'm in the flip side because Winnipeg is an amazing place to live. Like I love our community, and in the last two weeks, we've had so many brides who just heard about it wanted to donate their dresses, drop them off at Best Care Dry Cleaners at one of the two locations. And we realized that we actually need more brides. Oh, and my word. I think the challenge is that uh, brides and women and people in general don't feel like they're deserving of a good thing. So it's not um, just a criteria that you may have uh, have a financial obstacle. And I think everybody could use a free wedding dress because they're expensive. But if you've gone through something in your life and you just need a break— they, those are the brides that we're trying to appeal to as well. I have a wedding dress in the studio. Oh, and it's spe- gorgeous. <laughs> Hello. And specifically in the 2 to 10 range, I'm pretty full in the 10 to 22 range. We have sizes of, you know, all sizes, but I've had an influx of dresses that have donated that are uh, like 6, 8, 10. So I'm specifically looking for those brides. And I'm posting on Kijiji, I'm in the groups, I'm on the forums, and um, I'm here today trying to appeal to listeners who say, you know what, I actually would love to do that, because nothing ventured, nothing gained. You can come in and try it on a dress, and if you don't find one you love, then that's fine, but you might find an amazing dress of your dreams.
0: So it's clearly a good thing that you decided to (laughs) unload your dress in the way that you did, but why didn't you sell it instead of giving it away?
15: I mean, to be quite frank... Selling anything is not the most fun experience. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> a dress that is, it has to be specific to a taste, it has to be specific to a size. Um, I love giving things away. I always, you know, if I clean up my house, I usually do a Salvation Army drop-off or um, Flavie Laurent, one of these places that can use them when a big harvest, if you're cleaning out your shelves. It feels good. It, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of selfish where you're trying to give something away and feel great about it. But that's the feeling that all of the brides have donated. There's been 45 dresses donated. Um, And everybody is super excited to kind of pass it forward, pay it forward and get some good karma out of this. And I can say that it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, giving something that really, you know, the amount that it would have cost to actually sell it and what I would have gotten for it was could not compare to the feeling I had.
1: I mean, let's admit it. Ladies, (laughs) many of you have that wedding dress that you wore once. Mm -hmm. It's hanging in a closet or it's uh, in a box. I know uh, Best Care does amazing stuff in terms of putting you can preserve yeah. your wedding dress and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but there would be something extra special about about donating a dress and and getting having someone get use of it a second time or maybe even a third time.
15: Actually, we've had that. The first gown that we gave away, her wedding was in January, so we had to give uh, we had to get her a dress before then, and that was a dress that had been purchased by somebody else as a used gown. So this was the third time that it was worn and we're probably going to get it back and it's been it's you know it was purchased in 2013 so it's been it's seen a lot of love and I think there's something beautiful about this upcycling kind of project. Again, the the event on Sunday is going to be phenomenal. We have some amazing decor partners. Each bride is going to get $25 off of alteration services from Nile Alterations. Um, We're going to be entered to win a full photography package. They're going to get a free sugaring package from Kaivo Sugaring. So the Winnipeg community has really come together to support this, and it's going to be a gorgeous event. So if you feel... Like, you just want to see what happens, please go to WPGdresscollective.com, get some more information, reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk to you and hopefully find your dress. What about
0: storage? Where do you store these dresses?
15: <laughs> <laughs> we were speaking earlier about this. So, up until Best Care Drag Cleaners came on board uh, and kind of saved me, I had. I have a I have a house, thankfully, and I have my office was completely full of dresses. My basement was completely full of dresses. My car was completely full, and then Best Care came on board and I transported them all there. So they've all been dry cleaned in the last few months, um, thankfully. So again, you're going to get a fully dry clean dress, and um, it's not going to be stored in my home. It's it's stored in Best Care dry cleaners. <laughs>
0: Well, and they take up a lot of space too, right? I mean, that Thank this dear. this dress that you've brought in is a slim, very. It looks like something you'd wear, I guess, in a summer, maybe an outdoor yes. wedding.
15: Yeah, look at you! You should be one of our <laughs> volunteer consultants. <laughs> wow, yeah, the someday. things I'm learning about you, Brett. Yeah, this was the most easily transportable gown, I have to say. I this morning I was looking at you know running and maybe it being icy, and I didn't want to go down engulfed by one of the beautiful ball gowns <laughs> that we have, so I grabbed a very beautiful lace summer gown, um, gorgeous detailing, belts, size 4, we'd love to give it to you.
0: Winnipeg Dress Collective, the event is happening uh, this Sunday, March 18th at the Forks. Where is it happening at the Forks?
15: So the Forks generously donated the uh, space formerly occupied by Sydney's. So if you've ever been to that restaurant, I've had been once, it looks like a bridal salon. Like it looks like it was actually meant to be a bridal salon. Um, And so to get there, you just need to pre-apply and we set you up with an appointment so it's not show up. We would love to know some more details, what kind of dress you're looking for, what size, Um, Any other details that you have, send it to me at hannah at wpgdressproject.com.
1: Hannah, this is an absolute labor of love. And uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm super proud of you for doing this. This is really incredible. (laughs) Of course you're allowed to say it. This is uh, the most like Winnipeg thing ever. So congratulations to you and thanks for sharing the story. We'll do our best to
0: get you a few more brides.
15: Thank you so much.
0: The website is wpgdresscollective.com. Brett McCarry with Greg Mackling, our producers behind the glass, Jerry, and Chantalie Vidal. Uh, we are all friends. We're like family. And uh, Greg, we have one of your friends in studio with us here. Uh, so I'm just going to let you do the introduction.
1: Well, ironically, we were talking about uh, um, which prize was that it was going to be the Man
0: man, the Booker. man Booker
1: Man Booker Award was going to be handed out May 22nd, and I joked that that was my birthday. Well, it's also our next guest's birthday as well. So we're birthday buddies. We share the same birthday, and I think that has uh, allowed us and maybe uh, prompted us to stay as close as we have over more than 30 years of friendship. And this past weekend, a vehicle drove through a daycare on Balmoral Street. It's a daycare. I think I've told you that every once in a while over the last few years, I've been Santa Claus. (laughs) This is the daycare where I go and play Santa Claus. This is a, this is a very special place, and I want to make sure I, I, I say it properly. Niganaki Akai. Naganakai. There you Naganakai. Go. <laughs> I should have let Brett do it. Yeah. <laughs> Naganakai daycare, and uh, Lois, you've already been having some issues. The things that you've been going through in the last year would have any "quote unquote" business behind the eight ball but you are not a business you are a community service.
6: Absolutely. So tell
1: us about some of the things you've been going through.
6: Well, um, Nagonika Daycare has been around since the early 90s and I joined about uh, eight years ago. Um, I'm a West Ender, born and raised, still proud, want to work in the West End, uh, be around my people. (laughs) And, um, you know, so the service that we offer at our little daycare is, you know, really a sense of family, a sense of community. Um, Those families that come into our care, which are newcomers from many countries all over the world, um, young Indigenous mothers that come in. Um, they all become part of our family. Those kids are our kids. They're my kids. Um, those families are are our families, um, and we've we've made that that really strong connection with them. These some of these kids that live in the Central Park neighborhood, um, you know, sometimes their meal that they get during the day is from us is the only meal that they get a day. Sometimes, um, I say that uh, you know because of uh, monetary restraints with the families that they. You know they can buy a box of pizza pops, and that'll last their child lunch for a week. And if you've ever smelled twenty plus pizza pops being microwaved every day at lunchtime, it's it's nauseating. It's just unbelievable. So about eighteen months ago, we are in a, we are in a housing co-op on Belmoral and on the we're on the main floor. Um, and I was on holidays, and I got a call uh, that something was happening at the daycare. And I went in in the main stack of the building, which is seven stories high, um, severed, broke, uh, and emptied seven (laughs) floors of sewage into our daycare. Um, So we ended up uh, having to close. uh, The health inspector came in and closed us saying we're contaminated, we have sewage everywhere, Um, everything had to be torn back to the the studs. and, you know, that didn't cover under our insurance because it didn't have to. It was a building's responsibility. Um, but, of course, the process was extremely slow, and we ended up losing um, more than half of our business for uh, just over three months. And it's, it's taken a long time to get our feet back on the ground. The families that had to leave didn't come back. Um, trying to get more families in, you know, we're just a tiny little daycare. We don't have a marketing department or right. or anything like that. Um, and to be honest, most of our families um, are referred to us by places like Welcome Place or Mosaic Centre, Family Dynamics. Um so, you know, we've been, we've been crawling and kicking and, and trying to just stay afloat and still provide um, what, what the children need, their basic needs. Um, and, and definitely one of them is to provide them with, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables every day for snacks. So they're getting some kind of vitamin C and proper nutrients for their bodies. Um, so, you know, we've been uh, working along, working along. And then on Saturday, got another call from the arm company. That um, a vehicle, a Honda CRV, um, drove through um, intentionally uh, into our front doors of our building, took both doors and the side windows, um, damaged a bunch of stuff on the inside of the daycare, and the person drove off. So now I have two pieces of plywood um, holding the door or the the space closed. Um, which takes away one of our emergency exits. So it could be that the fire inspector comes in and says you don't have two exits. You have to close. And to be honest, if we had to close today, there's this the last straw. I, I can't see us um, being able to function as a as a business anymore. And losing the daycare would mean that you know over fifty families would 50. lose their daycare. Yeah, and. Um, You know, our parents are extremely upset and my staff will be out of work instantly. Um, And I have, you know, 11 staff. So it's, yeah. Did you say that
0: this person intentionally drove into the building and drove away?
6: Well, we watched the video. (laughs) The video shows a a gentleman um, who may or may not have been intoxicated um, drive into our parking lot, put it in reverse in front of our doors and back up.
0: Wow, shocking.
6: And, yeah, it, pretty pretty um, hard impact as well. Like, it's shook the building.
0: Was the vehicle, like, it, could you identify the vehicle from oh, the video? Th- th-
6: there's parts of the vehicle in my daycare. So, yeah, they have the vehicle. I believe the Winnipeg Police have the vehicle.
0: So, this has become
1: now, obviously, an insurance issue. And I think <clears> most <throat> people that will be listening will say, well surely you have insurance, surely the building has insurance, the business or the daycare has insurance, MPI is probably involved, no big deal.
6: Great. <laughs> um, it, we ha- absolutely have insurance and we had to use it with the flood. Um, because this happened to the building and we are renters in the building, it it falls back on the building's insurance, which is great. I mean, we're not going to have to put up very much money, but what it it hits us is the loss of business. And which is is covered partially by our insurance, but it's it's doesn't really cover the full effect of what our daycare offers.
1: And the other issue then is that also right now is that second access point, that second entrance slash exit. That's yes. that's a huge concern. Uh,
6: yeah, absolutely.
1: Can that be rectified for? the right amount of money immediately? (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) how how do you get around that?
6: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's me yelling. And, you know, I've been on the phone since Saturday afternoon.
1: I can tell by your voice you've been on the phone since um, Saturday afternoon. Several,
6: several people from different um, parts of all of this that have to take place, um, including structural engineers. um, When, you know, they were like, okay, well, it's just a hole in the building and it's not just a hole in the building. It's my business. And, um, you know, tiny little daycares are just, you know, apparently just totally funded by the government and, and will survive. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know, we get an operating, um, assistance from the government, all, uh, licensed daycares do, but that doesn't cover all of your costs. Daycares are doing major fundraising. It's, it's, yeah, just for our salaries and, uh, to pay for our fresh food.
0: We have been speaking with Lois Coward. She is the the executive director of Naganakai Daycare at 500 Balmoral on Saturday. Someone decided it would be a good idea to pull into the parking lot, put the car in reverse and back the car into the daycare and then drive away. Proceeded to uh, cause damage to two other spots in the area. Police have not found the perpetrator of this crime, um, but the Naganakai day- daycare is in bad shape and could use your help. And uh, Lois is a friend of Greg's and a friend of the community and uh, we're just uh, seeing if you can help us out.
1: You know, Lois, when... when If you were anybody, I would ask the question, what do you need and how would what you need help and where would it get you to? Mm
6: -hmm. Um, Being in daycare, uh, we're really known for our way to be very frugal and to make something out of nothing. And I think at some point that's bitten us in the butt because everybody thinks, oh, you'll just survive anyway on you know, empty milk cartons. Um, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, we have to pay rent. We have to pay our insurance, um, uh, you know, extra food, you know, for the kids. Um, so it, it does start to, to add up and it kind of is back loaded right now that um, if we possibly lose business or, or the business that we have kind of lost because now we don't have anybody coming to our door, um, you know, we probably need close to $10,000 to survive till the end of March. Um, you know, we, we're really good at, at uh, working with the community. I, I believe that these this community is the kids' community. So we go out, we talk to business owners. We've made fantastic connections with uh, Royal Bank, um, with IKEA. IKEA's been a fantastic supporter of ours. And, yeah, I, uh, but money actually, you know, runs the ship.
1: So you voiced the concern that uh, the fire commissioner may order Possibly. a second door. Mm-hmm. Um Does that help get that second door? Just, you know, just trying to paint a picture for people as to how this can help and how we can make this work and and keep your keep your door slash doors open. Mm
6: -hmm. Um, I think that uh, kind of lays upon me to, um, you know, make my voice really heard, which Greg knows that I can Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to force that issue right now that we have to get that door done. It, like I, it has to be some kind of exit, uh, it doesn't have to be fancy, um, but we have to have some kind of other exit for our daycare. So I mean, that's that's something that I you know can push. But I what I don't want is is us to close.
0: Well, you can reach out to us at so Brett at cjob So that's b r e t t at cjob com or gmac at CJOB.com, so G-M-A-C-K at CJOB.com, and we can get you in touch with Lois Coward, once again, Executive Director of Naganakai Daycare at 500 Balmoral. Someone drove into the daycare on Saturday, and the daycare is in bad shape and needs your help. So again, GMAC at CJOB.com, Brett at CJOB.com. Lois, thank you for joining us
1: today. Thank
5: you.
0: I can't tell you how long
1: I've been looking forward to meeting this man. I would say about five years. He's uh, brave beyond words. His stories and his recounts of his personal journey have inspired me for an awful long time. Uh, Very humbled to... uh, make the acquaintance and to meet in person for the first time, Greg Haluli. Greg, uh, welcome to 680 CGOB. Thanks very much for having me here. I just want to express my appreciation for all the time you've given me over the years to share your story when we've reached out. And it's almost been exclusively about Graham James, but I mean, you should be an expert on many more things. You're a brilliant guy, a Princeton lawyer. And why don't we talk about the good things and the incredible things you've done with your life um, since you left Winnipeg to just give us a little bit of a recap uh, about the good things and the, and the wonderful things you've accomplished. Well,
2: a thank you B that's incredibly humbling and C given what I went through with Graham, I don't see any real success so I can describe what I did, but to me, everything that I've done since Graham has been failure. I, uh, I went away, I left Winnipeg in 1982 to go to Princeton, uh, graduated, uh, went to the University of Toronto Faculty of Law, graduated, got a job with a leading Canadian corporate law firm. Uh, through the, the process of self-sabotage, coming out of the abuse, ended up at any number of different firms, always you know, ruining my chances of success at these great, great law firms that I was working at. Ended up getting hired away by a law school friend, Leonard Asper, to come back to Winnipeg and work at Canwest. Uh, was Ken West's senior lawyer, traveled the world uh, with responsibilities for corporate development, uh, ended up back in Toronto after we acquired a production company uh, with offices in Los Angeles and London and Toronto, uh, ended up working with another uh, children's television, uh, uh, film and television production company, and, uh, and then finally had to, to deal with this when uh, not Sheldon, when he came forward, I wasn't strong enough to do Anything then, but when Theo Fleury came forward, I was already in recovery dealing with uh, this, and I've I've now taken time to write the book. So that's that's the resume.
1: The book is "I Am Nobody," confronting the sexually abusive coach who stole my life. And uh, Greg, uh, you know, it 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 breaks my heart to realize, and I've told you, I've been listening to just about every interview you've done across the country uh, on this book tour. Uh, I read. Uh, anything that I can get my hands on about you. And it breaks my heart to know that you don't see any sense of accomplishment in what you've done in your life because of what this SOB did to you. Well, the thing is, there's always been a part of me that wanted to succeed,
2: that wanted to uh, to fight through and, and and succeed. And and that was met by a larger force inside me that wanted to, to self-destruct because coming out of the abuse, I... I I had no sense of self. I didn't believe that I deserved any outward success and any inward success, and I didn't believe that I deserved to live. So I was always strong enough to fight to get the good job or the place in the great school or uh, whatever, but there was that that equal part of me always wanting to self-destruct. And so Princeton sounds great, and I have wonderful memories, and there were some magical things that took place there. But in the end, the scoreboard in my head, you know, Tallied things up and realized it wasn't all that it could have or or should have been, uh, and and the same applies through all of my professional postings. Magical things, uh, uh, incredible opportunities and and tasks and projects and files and I loved it and at the same time I hated myself so I destroyed it.
0: The self sabotage that uh, you've dis- described uh, did it ever veer into? Things like substance abuse or anything like that?
2: Absolutely. When when you don't think that you deserve to live, you will take aggressive steps to, to take your life. And there are lots of ways to kill yourself without killing yourself. Uh, I viewed myself as a failed suicidist because I, I couldn't see myself through to killing myself. So I would, uh, like all things in my life, view myself as a failure. And I needed a place to hide from myself. I needed a place to run. And so... Uh, substances, uh, carving, cutting, uh, antisocial behavior of the the worst sort. And what I found particularly uh, effective, and apparently it's common with uh, a lot of victims of uh, child sexual abuse, put on weight. If if you want to kill yourself without killing yourself, put on a bunch of weight because people don't want to look at you. You are a part of society, but you're not. Uh, People make judgments about you. They... Question your 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 uh, they, they they question your your very will to live. They 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 outwardly see what you inwardly believe about yourself.
1: The one word I told you before we came on air, Greg, that there's one word in all of this, in your book, and in all the conversations you've had, and I've heard you have, that horrifies me as a father of twin eleven-year-old boys, and that word is grooming.
2: Yeah, um, I I think. One of the reasons I write so graphically in the book is that I, I think it's important for people to understand how anybody can be groomed. I was outwardly a success. I was a, this is radio but I'm now 67 but I was always a very tall athletic kid when I was growing up. I was an academic success in school who skipped a grade and could have skipped a, could have skipped a couple of more. If if you were in the community and you you got to know me, anyone would have told you that that I was the the golden child. And yet everybody has vulnerabilities. And and a a serial child sexual predator has to be incredibly good at what he does. Otherwise, he doesn't get to be a serial child sexual predator. He would get caught. But a person like Graham James was incredibly good at, at what he did. And the problem is that offenders... They look for vulnerabilities, and they search out vulnerabilities. And when they find the vulnerabilities, they do whatever they can to slowly but surely make the child's world his world. And Graham, it's not like I met Graham and then a week later Graham sexually abusing me. This this took months of work on his part to get me to a point where I saw my world as his world. And The problem is, once that happens and the sexual barrier is broken, I desperately needed somebody to run to 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 help me to talk to and
1: the only person I had in my life left to run to was Graham. It's so diabolical. Yeah. It's beyond diabolical, it's sickening and it's horrifying to imagine that someone like yourself, you know, <laughs> could find themselves in a situation like this and to genuinely I know when you applied to Princeton you felt the only person, the guy that you needed a rubber stamp from, a letter from, someone to make a call for on your behalf was Graham James. I was at a point in my life where it
2: never dawned on me, and this is no no joke, it never dawned on me that I could simply apply to a university on my own, that I could go to a library and get the admission materials or the contact information right away for an admission package to a university. I applied to one university when I went away, and, and it was Princeton, and... I believed until I learned otherwise after getting to the campus that I was only there because of Graham and Graham's intervention and Graham's work with the hockey program and Graham's assistance in getting me through the the admissions process.
1: Greg Gilhulli is our guest. He is the author of I Am Nobody, Confronting the Sexually Abusive Coach Who Stole My Life. Graham James, an all too intricate part of your life, Greg. And I want to look back over the years and think about what Sheldon Kennedy did, the the absolutely uh, brave thing. Brave doesn't even cover cover it, does it? I mean, what he did for all of Graham's victims was uh, very special, wasn't it? Sheldon is the, the true
2: hero in all of this because he came forward at a time when the hockey community was effectively rallying around Graham James, and Graham effectively positioned Sheldon as a broken human being as an addict, a drunk, uh, uh, someone whose mental health wasn't as stable as it should be. And when when Sheldon was dealing with his past before coming forward, Sheldon's NHL coaches would be in contact with Graham, and they viewed Graham as the the one man who could guide Sheldon, who could bring him back from the ledge. And they effectively pushed Sheldon back to Graham time and time again. And then so when Sheldon comes forward... Graham has already created this world for people around Graham to say, well, Graham couldn't possibly have abused Sheldon. The person who cared most for Sheldon was Graham. And the fact that I wasn't able to come forward and help Sheldon in his time of need was devastating. Because first, in my mind, anything that would have happened after I had been abused was my fault because... Graham was a a tiny schlub of a guy. He was nothing impressive other than the fact that he had an impressive position in the hockey world. And I, at my physical size and what I believed mental strength, should have been aware of what was going on to me and should have stopped Graham in his place with one punch to the face and should have been strong enough to go to the police and should have put an end to whatever was about to happen or was happening to me. And I didn't do that. And so I had always believed that there would be others after me. and, And when Sheldon came forward, I had tangible proof that there had been at least one victim after me. Uh, secondly, when Sheldon came forward and I wasn't strong enough to come forward and help him in the face of people standing up for Graham, and, and there are still people involved in in hockey who, to this day, support Graham and believe that Graham deserves a second chance and remain remain friends with Graham. The For Sheldon to have to endure people around him from his past standing up, for Graham and not have me come forward and say, no, no, you, you don't understand this guy. Sheldon's not the only one, and this other anonymous guy isn't the only one. It, it, it put me to a point where I didn't truly believe that I deserved to live and, and became incredibly suicidal.
0: Does the path of recovery for something like this ever end?
2: No. Uh, I'd like, At one point, I thought it would. I, I always thought I was going to get to a point of closure, uh, whether it was from an apology from Graham or... Through the legal system, not a justice system, but you know, we don't yeah. have, there's no justice in the justice system. We have a legal system. But I learned closure would only come from within, and then I learned that from within would never come closure because it's always going to be there. And I can pretend that I'm going to get better, and I will get better, but that doesn't mean it goes away. It's just uh, getting to a point where I'm dealing with it better
1: we've been talking for months now about the, the me too movement and things that are going on in hollywood and and business and now government through out north america and the, and the, we're we're hoping it's a sea change in attitude and awareness of what's going on greg but when i hear you talk about and read your account of why you couldn't come forward and and, and back sheldon and if i'm conveying uh, or if i'm if i'm betraying a confidence by what you told me off air, you, you told me that you wouldn't have been able to write this book if your dad was still alive. That's right. Um, try and square that circle for all of us. Cause the, the, the article and the conversation I always point to is Terry Cruz. Yeah. You know, you have similar physical stature to Terry Cruz, big man, uh, clearly very talented in Hollywood and his accounting of why he did not come forward with, And a sexual assault towards him, I think, kind of forms an umbrella for everybody. But maybe you could tie that because you're familiar with that story as well. Yeah, I I think
2: like like all things, society itself evolves. And to the extent that society evolves through the Me Too movement in terms of understanding that things like this happen more frequently than than we like to admit – and that if people come forward, they will be listened and better understood, it's a good thing. The more likely a person who's gone through something like this, a, a victim or, or a survivor, as others like, like to be referred to, the more likely the victim is to be understood the more and, and, and believed, the more likely the victim is to come forward, comma, except that you don't really believe you're going to be understood. And... It it, it's absolutely a step in the right direction, but it's not a panacea in terms of guaranteeing that everyone will be able to come forward. And again, remember that the people who are coming forward as a part of the Me Too movement are often referring to abuse that took place years and years and years ago. And it's wonderful to see a a scumbag like Harvey Weinstein uh, go through what he's going through now. It would have been better 20 years ago, right, if we'd never even learned of, of his name.
0: Greg Gilhoolie is our guest. He is an author, lawyer, survivor, speaking about criminal justice reform for victims of sexual assault. And his book is called I Am Nobody, Confronting the Sexually Abusive Coach Who Stole My Life. Greg, thank you for telling us your story today here. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry and Chanelie Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB.